and welcome to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here today with my friend and Chavruti Yardena Azband. We are here, believe it or not, coming to the close of the first parak of Masachat Brachot. We can't believe it. We've made it this far. We're so happy you have joined us on this journey. Um, I, Because of this, we're going to do our usual thought and then a question for the rest of you out of order, because my question today is on the end of the last parak, of the first parak of Masachat Brachot, and Yardena will speak about um, the second, already into the second parak. Okay, so here's the deal. At the end of Masachat Brachot, we... Uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the first parak of Masach HaBrachot, we end up with this discussion over transformations. There's a discussion in the Mishnah that's on the Yudbet, Amabet, that talks about um, being careful to mention Yitziat Mitzrayim in the right time. And from there, we go on to talk about a whole bunch of different things, including other transformative experiences, um, such as they are. And we come to Avraham, the name, we come to Yaakov, whose name is changed to Yisrael, and we come to Avra, Avram, whose name is changed to Avraham. And the Gemara says straight up, Avram, who Avraham, right? And this is something you may well have learned in Chumash class or Rashi, right? That once Avram's name is changed to Avraham, we never go back and call him Avram again, except for in Chumash class at the beginning, before we get to his change of name. But we never refer to this um, patriarch as Avram, only as Avraham. And the Gemara goes on, At the beginning, he was only the progenitor of Aram, that's where he was going to be, the forefather. By the end, meaning when Hashem chooses him and and makes him a nation, a father of the entire world, he becomes Avraham, and that is it. That is his new identity. Likewise, Sarai, he's Sarah. The name of Sarai becomes Sarah, and they end up keeping these names without using the other their previous original names. Bitchilana said. She becomes not just my princess, right? That's the name of Sarah, but Sarah, a general term for all the whole world. She's a princess of the whole world. Whole world. Tani bar kafra. If you call anybody who calls Avraham Avram, not only do we not do it as a matter of practice, but the Gemara says straight up, if you do so, according to Bar Kafra, if you do so, you have violated a mitzvah lotase, because we have a pasuk that says, Vaya shimcha Avraham. It will be the case that your name, his name, will be Avraham. Rebbelezer says, not only that, you are you are not only violating the mitzvah ase of Vehaye shimcha Avraham, that Vaya, that your name will be Avraham. Rather, over beloved, the Pasuk says, It will not be. Your name will no longer be Avram. So if you then say Avram, you are violating the the, the principle of it will no longer happen. Now, this is Sefer Breshit, and Sefer Breshit is not really, this is not really the book of mitzvot. So they're darshing here, they're extrapolating from the verses a mitzvot ase, a mitzvot lot ase, and why we call Avram, Avraham, and we only ever refer to him as Avram. And then we, the Gemara goes on to explain this applies to Sarah and Sarai as well. And then it goes on to explain that when it comes to Yaakov, Yaakov keeps his name Yaakov. He becomes Yisrael and he also keeps the name Yaakov. And God himself refers to Yaakov as Yaakov. 
after he's already been dubbed Yisrael. So my question is as follows. We are at the end of a parak, and I'm going to look at that as a significant structure from the, from the mindset of Chazal. They crafted these books. Whoever it is, the Stamayim, the Savorayim, to what extent it's Ravina and Ravashi, there is conscious editing and thematic editing. And my question is, when we look at this transformative nature of these names, this is how Masacha Brachot, the first parak of Masacha Brachot, closes. And I'm not quite clear why, because we haven't been talking about names throughout the first parak. We've been talking about definitions. We've been talking about defining times. We've certainly talked about identities. But to the extent that we would say, okay, ta-da, now we've closed off the parak with a discussion of the identities as names. Avram becomes Avraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Yaakov keeps both Yaakov and Yisrael. And then, and then we're going to move on to our Hadran, Hadran Alach. We're going to come back to Masech Brachot, the first chapter, some other time. Now, we're going to move on to chapter two. And I'm not quite clear, and I throw it out to all of you, and I'm sure some of you will have very wonderful feedback and ideas for us, and we will, please God, air those um, in some future episode. Why it is or what might be a rationale for this being the structure in a literary sense, so to speak, of the the close of the first parak of Masech Brachot. Here, Dana, parak bet. What I was interested on on the talk today. We have an interesting concept here introduced for the first time um, that I want us to pay attention to. Uh, and that is Mitzvot Srichot Kavana. The Gemara, after having looked at the uh, first Mishnah of parak bet, uh, learns from there that uh, mitzvot require what we call kavanah or some type of intention. And they learn this from, if we look at the beginning of the Mishnah itself, right, that if somebody, if somebody's reading from the Torah and the time of Kriyat Shema came, as long as the person who's doing the reading from the Torah is kivain libo, somehow focuses his or her heart, they're Yotze, the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema. And therefore, the Gemara's conclusion, or the first comment they have on this mitzvah, uh, on this Mishnah, excuse me, is mitzvot srichot kabana, that mitzvot require intention. Um, this theme of uh, mitzvot needing intention comes up a few times actually in the Gemara. We'll see it again when we get to Masachat Psachim, and specifically with the mitzvah of eating matzah. And I want us to pay attention to that on this page, it actually comes through in about four different themes of what it could mean that mitzvot need kavana and different types of kavana, different types of intention. So the first is the one that we encounter here, which is the first uh, comment on the Mishnah. And it seems to be a blanket statement of just mitzvot srichot kavana. And the Gemara goes on uh, to sort of clarify by saying, well, what could it mean in kivenli bo? that they have to uh, have intention of its heart to read because the person's already reading. So how much more intention could a person have if you're already doing the action of reading? Remember, we call the mitzvah, the mitzvah of kriyat shma, of reading the shma. So what else could it mean? So here the Gemara says that it's refocusing oneself, that if you were just happened to be reading the Torah, let's say, and you came and it was the time of kriyat shma, and you came upon that part in the Torah, you just had intention, this reading is to be yotze. This reading is for fulfilling the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema, of actually having to read the Shema. 
later on in the Gemara on uh, Yud Gimel Amud Bet, there's uh, again a discussion about mitzvot tzrichot uh, kavana, um, but here it's what type of kavana do you need? And if you go back and look at the text, and I'm not going to read through all of it, because uh, it would definitely take us more time than what uh, this podcast is doing in the, the short time that we're trying to discuss and raise some of these issues. But it brings up the idea of having to have kavana to read, and that meaning that your reading actually has to be done out loud, and that after a certain part of the Shema, you actually could read silently. It brings up a third type of kavana, which is the kavana of being Mekabel o Malchut Shamayim, right? That when we say the actual first pasuk of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that a person has the kavana, has the intention of what we always say is Mekabel o Malchut Shamayim, like uh, accepting upon oneself the oak, uh, the yoke, excuse me, the yoke of heaven, and um, and then there's a fourth kavana that's mentioned here a fourth time, and that has to do with Amar Rav Natan. Uh, so they bring down another law, which is saying that a person actually has to be standing um, when they say the Shema. And this is interesting because we had talked about previously the idea that Hillel, right? That Hillel said, what is somebody allowed to do? You could be working, you could be walking, you could basically be doing any activity uh, when somebody recites Shema. But um, here, right, we're bringing down the statement of Rav Natan who says, yes, that's true, but when you actually do the mitzvah itself of Kriyachma, a person has to be in Amida, meaning what? Meaning they actually have to stand still, okay, and actually, you know, in a way, almost stop their body, rest their body to say, I am now fulfilling the mitzvah of Kriyachma. And again, the Mepharshim go on to say on this comment here, uh, of of uh, of Natan that if you know if one is lying down as we discussed earlier in an earlier death it's not that now you have to actually stand up right we we follow the halacha like Beit Hillel that one could be laying down or standing up it's the idea more of whatever activity you're doing your kavana has to switch and you have to actually have intention that you're f- fulfilling that mitzvah so I just want us to be thinking about here on this page that we see sort of these four elements, these four different types of kavana, right? First, the kavana of intention when reading, uh, another kavana of that maybe sometimes we have to read saying something actually out loud, whereas later on, we can just write, that's called kriya the kavana, whereas the second half of Shema, we can just have kavana, we can say the Shema silently to ourselves, okay? A third type of kavana of being makavel, o machut shamayim, and the fourth one, which is having to actually stand, or I think it's more the intention here of Rav Natan is to say, resting the body from any other activity that you're doing. You can do it while you're in the middle of something, but just resting your body to, to being able to have the proper intention. And I think the reason that the Gemara goes through all of these different scenarios is to really underscore how the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema, of saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad every day, and the Sukim that we say afterwards is really sort of so core to our experience day to day as a practicing Jew, right? And I think the Gemara also recognizes that this could really be a mitzvah that sort of you could just get up very quickly in the morning and say those those psukim, or right before you go to bed when you're exhausted again to do kriyat shema, and almost in a way by 
enumerating all these different types of kavanot, the Gemara is asking us to pay attention and say, this is a mitzvah that really is an expression of our essential relationship with God. It's our accepting twice a day, right? O Malchut Shamayim, the yoke of, uh, of heaven, right? That we are supposed to be doing this mitzvot all day. That's really what our primary goal is on earth. And therefore it may require a more deliberate intention when we perform these mitzvot. So what I find so interesting about that, Yordina, is that in addition to the fact that we have this requirement of the mitzvah of Shema and that we have to have kavana at least for the first pasuk, we don't relate to Shema as davening. Shema is its own mitzvah. We have a mitzvah to read Shema, right? But when I think of kavana in general, I'm thinking about kavana of the Amidah. What does it mean to have kavana when I come to davening? What does it mean to be rushed in the morning or at night or in mincha or whatever? And am I being able to focus the way, the way we think that one should focus in tefillah? And that's where I think of kavana being the be-all and end-all. Can you daven? Does your davening count if you didn't really have kavana for it? And the application of kavana to Kriyachma, which is again, psukim, and they have intent, and we must take them very seriously as a mitzvah unto themselves. I, I find it um, fascinating and important how kavana is applied in the ca- category of mitzvot trichot kavana as compared to um, tefillah itself. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iTunes, and so many more. If you like Talking Talmud, please leave us a rating or a review, and that will help other people find our podcast as well. You can also join our WhatsApp group, um, contact us for the link if you don't have a means of finding it otherwise. And until tomorrow, go and learn.